Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Goa, General Partner at Greylock. You're listening to Gray Matter, where we share stories from company builders and business leaders. You're listening to Episode 4 of our Work From Anywhere series, exploring how the world has been turned upside down since the pandemic began. We're talking to an amazing set of founders and CEOs building for the digital-first economy about how they're surviving and now thriving. In real time, we'll get their best predictions for what changes will sustain, the bets they're placing, and what they're struggling with. Our fourth guest is Kurt Schrader, the co-founder and CEO of Greylock portfolio company Clubhouse. We'll hear from him about why they're going after deeply embedded incumbents in the project management space, how the collaborative home for software teams needs to be not just a product to divide and conquer units of work, but a space for conversation, and Clubhouse's own gradual talent-driven evolution into a distributed team. Kurt, it's great to have you on the Work From Anywhere podcast. Can you please tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself and the founding story for Clubhouse? Yeah, definitely. So I am the CEO and co-founder at Clubhouse Software. We've been working on Clubhouse Software for about six years now. My whole career has been building, running, managing, engineering product teams. And when I left my last job as CTO of an ad tech company, One thing I noticed there and that I'd noticed at a lot of other companies before that was as your team grows, as you add people to your team, continue to expand what you're working on, every team usually gets to the point where they have to roll out a piece of project management software. And in my experience, teams are never really happy on that day. It's it's not a happy day within the organization. People are generally unhappy with the tools they have to use, unexcited about it. Uh, Nobody really likes them. And actually at my last company, when I rolled out a big, heavy project management tool to the team, the team came to me, actually my co-founder, Andrew, came to us and said, you know, what do you need out of this? What, What are you looking for? And I said, well, I need these reports and I need a bunch of visibility into things I don't get out of our current tool. And he said, okay. And he went away and, and, mostly him and with the help of a few other people in-house, built a piece of software and that did all the reporting for me, used the APIs of the old tool we were using just so we didn't have to use sort of the industry standard tool. So when we left there, we got back together and started to work on, you know, really building a tool for engineering and product teams that, that people really love using. That's where we started, but also could really scale with an organization and, and help make a an organization work better together and, and more productive and, and really pull a lot of the organization into the, the product development process. And yeah, I've just, just been started there and, and have been scaling up from there. It seems like a really worthwhile mission to me. It's one of those areas where the status quo is not making teams super happy, but a lot of people seem to have just uh, accepted it. So I'm, I'm glad you guys haven't. Just going back to the key mission of Clubhouse, There are a number of ways you can do project management in product teams today. I'm sure as a leader, you tried uh, everything from post-it notes to sort of the existing heavy enterprise software. What did you feel like you could reinvent? Like, what are the principles behind Clubhouse? First of all, the entire organization should be involved in building the product. And as more and more companies become software companies and, and have software involved in what they do every day, we think that you know, you should not just have a tool 
that only engineering looks at or only product managers look at to generate reports. Uh, we think that building a product should be a conversation that not just includes the engineering and product teams, but includes designers, includes support team, includes your sales team, includes your marketing team, really includes everyone in the company, includes finance. You know, it just, when you think about sort of the insights that everyone can bring to the table and, and sort of the diversity of opinions and those people know, you know, have a lot of people in your organization are a lot closer to the customers, do a lot better job understanding what they want. And really, as you're building things out, everyone should be involved, especially with the things that they have a lot of knowledge about. And I think the other thing we believe is that, you know, you should really love the tools that you're using. They should bring you joy on a day-to-day -day basis when you're using them. And I think too often we just accept clunky or slow or really tools that are not built for the user that are, are really just built around getting a task done and, and don't think a lot about the user and, you know, that someone has to actually use and interact with this every day. And we want to add value for the users. We really want to change that and, and show people you can build really great tools that people love using that also make your team more productive and you know, help you move faster and, and build things better. I remember thinking, I forget if it was you or Andrew who shared with me, you know, looking at some of your usage charts when we first made the investment at Greylock, you mentioned that you kept watching uh, some of the Clubhouse users that were active, like, you know, 31 days of a 31 day month and thinking like, we got to get that guy or gal out of the system and make sure they, they take a break because it'll be good for their creativity. Yeah, we watch very carefully to see that most of our users are, are in the tool every day. We, we don't want to build a tool that just two or three experts use every day and everyone else is in two or three days a month. So, so we track that closely internally. And yeah, there are a good number of users who, who are in every day. And yeah, we've always joked about building a feature that says, you know, go take a break. It's time to go outside, that sort of thing, and, and take a rest. So digging in a little bit to what it means to have the whole company involved in building a product, like, can you talk about how that manifests in your product? Because, you know, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, using tools that shall not be named here, like, not going to let the account executive move my ticket around, even though he really may want this story for this customer to get done, right? So how, how does it show up in your product, that collaboration? I think, number one, we try to keep Clubhouse very easy for people to understand and 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 parse and interact with. I think that's that's key. If if you add a lot of complexity and everything's very hard to to understand and, and really figure out what's going on, then it doesn't matter if you add people to the product, they're they're not going to use it anyway. But because of that, you can add in a lot of people across your organization and you know they can see what's being worked on and really see it sort of uh, you know, what we're building towards is, is letting people see the entire life cycle. Why are we building this, you know, feature that we're building within our product? Who are the customers that have asked for it before? What's, what's driving the reasons, you know, why we're doing it, whether, and, and how do we, how do we show that, right? How do we show integration with Zendesk or another tool that you might be using to track a lot of your feedback or, or your, your communications with your customers? And then from there, we want people to be able to see and be involved and comment on the entire life cycle from, from the designs, how things are being pulled together. How do you drop in your Figma mocks and watch their evolution over time? How do you have a conversation really internally about what's being built? How do you actually see the code and actually see 
you know, what's being built in there and, and be able to follow along with that. And then at the end, really close that loop and, and go back to the people, for instance, that, that asked for the feature that said, this is something we really want in whatever you're building and, and let them know, hey, that thing you wanted and asked for, be it a week ago, be it six months ago, be it a year ago, you have a Zendesk ticket from a year ago that says this would be a great feature. When you get that done, you want to let that person know and, and really close the loop and go back to support. And, and at the same time, you know, coordinate your, your, your marketing, your product marketing, your rollout, everything should be done and you should be able to see sort of that whole thread from the beginning to the end. And that's what we're really building toward. How, how do you have that entire conversation and pull those conversations out of Slack channels where they get lost, out of emails, out of, uh, in today's world, really, you know, I, I think a lot of coordination used to happen on post-it notes on walls and, and things like that. And that's just not an option at this point. So how do you have sort of that one core place where you can see everything beginning to end and really work together to push things out the door and, and really build great stuff? Yeah, that's a much more inclusive point of view than many feel about project management today. I don't know if you you see like cultural differences in the types of companies you serve or if people want to come on that journey with you because traditionally people tend to be like, do not break my project management. We're trying to keep it clean and we don't want anybody else in it. And like, I'm the admin. Uh, it's, it's just a very different perspective. Yeah, I think we see a lot of people who are so used to bad tools. Like we've done a really bad job as an industry, I think building great tools that, that people really like using and, and people have just settled and said, all right, this is, this is fine. This is as good as, as things are gonna get. We'll just use this thing, right? And I think we've had examples over the last few years of, of really tools taking to the next level and building really great tools, be it GitHub and a lot of work they did to really level up collaboration across engineering teams to Slack, which really has, you know, I think, taken us to a different place on communication and communication across teams, ad hoc communication. We really thought a lot about that when we were starting Clubhouse. So any product and engineering team building something significant eventually has to adopt some kind of project management tool. And you've used a dozen of them. What convinced you and Andrew that there was a problem to be solved here? Like what are, what are the deficiencies you see in those tools or what they mean for how teams are structured and work together? What I've seen in the past and what we see with a lot of these tools is they're not really designed in a lot of ways with the real end users in mind. They're designed for whoever is keeping track of status to, to have a great experience. So they can query what's going on and you know see what's happening, see what's in motion. But because the people that are building these tools have really forgotten about you know, the engineers and the designers and, and the product managers that use it every day, day in and day out, a lot of those people don't, don't really use it. They don't derive any value from it. They, they come in occasionally, they update the status of the thing that they're working on and really you know, go back to their day to day. And they're not in there discussing how to build things and, and, and describing what's being built and, and having discussions around the best way to do things. And, and they really just don't like the tool. And you see that in the NPS scores for these other tools, they're, they're negative, people don't like using them. And you know, I think we just really wanted to build something that all of those users would derive value from and really love using. It's a sneakily simple product thesis to me, which is if you build something that end users like are compelled to use and enjoy using, you're actually going to get better data in the tool for all different personas as well. 
So I think that abandonment of end users is clear in sort of the market's impression of some of your competitors. Yep, exactly. So you and Andrew, your co-founder, were based in New York originally. And Clubhouse today, uh, what does it look like? So Clubhouse, yeah, was founded in New York City. And uh, Andrew and I uh, both live there, although we are both sheltered in place uh, somewhere else in the country right now. I'm in Michigan and he's in New Jersey. But as a company, we grew as sort of a New York-based company until we were 20 or so people. And then in order to really look for and hire really great engineers, we started to move distributed. Some of our people moved out of New York. We started to make hires throughout the rest of the United States and, and into Europe somewhat. So we've been a distributed company for three or four years now and, and really have worked through the process of getting distributed. And we were about 70% located outside of New York when COVID hit and everything happened. And since then, we've moved to being a fully distributed company where we have people all over the US and in Europe as well. Okay, let's talk about just being a CEO and like what Clubhouse looks like today. You mentioned that you were on this journey to becoming a distributed team over time. What did it look like before March of this year? We've been hiring people all over the US, all over the world really uh, over time, over the last few years. And it was interesting because at the beginning, there wasn't a lot of intention behind it. It was just sort of, we are going to find the best people and figure out how to hire them. And sort of, we'll figure out as we go, how to build a distributed company. And, and you know, really, there was it, was, it was up in the air for a while. Like, do we really want to do this? I don't think anyone really knew. No one had, had done it before, at least uh, at Clubhouse. And, you know, I think we had some fits and starts. And, and we realized over time that, we did want to do it. We did want access to sort of the best talent uh, all over the world. And we started to work on getting a lot better at really writing everything down, being really explicit about communication, uh, doing better about recording meetings. But there were still things that honestly we weren't great at. Um, I think we still a lot of times defaulted to meetings where some of the team was on Zoom, some of the team was in a room. And there's a lot of workarounds for things like that where you're trying to figure out you know, how to have a really great experience, but it always kind of leaves out the people that are remote. And I think, you know, us, just like everyone, when COVID hit in March, you know, it really accelerated this process. And, and for us, it was an easy move, but I think as a forcing function, it forced us to, you know, really fix those last few things that we needed to do. And I, I think we took a lot of uh, inspiration from GitLab. They, they've done a great job of documenting how they built things. And, and we've we've tried to figure out how to you know, really build out a distributed team that, that works really well together. And there's a lot of tooling and, and pieces in there. And, and Clubhouse is a piece of that. A, a lot of teams use Clubhouse as they've distributed and we use Clubhouse. So, so you know, we, we eat our own dog food every day, but it takes a lot of work. And, you know, I, I feel for all the companies that suddenly had to become distributed and figure this all out in a really compressed time frame. When you say it takes a lot of work, how has the work you and Andrew and your executive team are doing, how is that work changing? Are you communicating with each other or the company differently in this time? When you're in an office and everyone's around, uh, especially you know if you're in a role like a CEO or uh, an executive team member, for better or for worse, a lot of your communication comes from walking around the office, seeing what people are working on, talking to them about things. And especially for me, like for, for years, for, for 
20 years, that's the way I've operated. Wander around, see what people are working on, ask them about it, and pull ideas sort of out of that group. And it's really hard to replicate things like that when you're remote. I have a lot more one-on-ones. I have office hours that people drop into every week. And, and you know, even then you have to sort of shift those around to make sure that you are not running your office hours at the same time as someone has a meeting every week. Because if you were in an office, you'd just notice that and you would mm-hmm. you'd wander over and, and do things. But uh, running a company or any company distributed, like you have to figure out ways to make sure that communication happens and, and you're really internalizing your organization. And the flip side of that is we've tried to simplify down and, and really make it easy to understand what everyone's working on and really focus the team. And and we used to have pretty extensive OKRs and, and objectives and across teams, you know, how everything worked. And right now we've just said, okay, everyone needs to know what their top three priorities are. Uh, I think has been super important for us to to really focus in and, and figure out sort of, you know, how to keep moving forward and stay stay focused on the goals that we have. That idea that you talked about, like the the sort of ambient intelligence of like what people are working on in the office and what what people's energy levels are. I think that's something that's been really hard to to recreate. And so seeing a lot of leaders just go spend more time explicitly like getting data on what's happening. How has COVID impacted Clubhouse as a business? Like a lot of companies early on, we saw things slow down a little bit. And we have a lot of companies that are in sectors that were affected were Clubhouse users. So travel companies and advertising companies sort of early on in, in March and the beginning of April, we, we saw some contraction there and some, some companies churning and going out of business. But since then, because of everything that's happening and because every team is now a distributed team, we're seeing a lot of a lot more interest and a, a lot of teams really looking for better tooling. And you know, to the question earlier of, you know, how do you run a company in a distributed environment? I think Clubhouse for a lot of teams has, has really been a big part of that. And if you historically were using post-it notes on a wall or a simpler project management tool, a, a Trello board, something like that to manage your team. I think a lot of teams are realizing that things were partially being done there, but a lot of the work was actually being done in those little conversations that were happening in the office and, and back and forth. And a lot of companies are realizing they need better tools, tools that makes it easier for their people to communicate and build better things. So we're seeing a lot of companies try Clubhouse, ramp up and really move forward with with using it as their main tool for building product. And uh, that's really exciting for us. We're, we're seeing acceleration and, and a, a lot of companies jumping on board. And are you investing in the product any differently in response to the environment? I think we're accelerating more of the investment in just this communication across the entire company. And, and you know, that's always been our vision and our goal. And then the other thing that we're, we're putting a lot of effort into right now is really building out the reporting side of things and, and letting teams know what's going well, what's not going well. I think we're seeing, because again, teams are not together all the time and not communicating in person, people are having a hard time really understanding what their teammates are doing, you know, what they should be working on, whether things are going as planned. And, and we want to make it easy for, for teams to really see 
you know, how their bill is going and whether they're becoming more productive over time or less productive or, you know, where the bottlenecks are, uh, really putting a lot of effort into to building out the, the reporting and making it easy for teams to see how they can keep improving. Got it. You and the Clubhouse team decided to go all in on distributed work, at least uh, for the time being. We talked about at the board level recently, dropping the office lease. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, for us, it was relatively easy given that we were already so distributed beforehand. And when I went back to my team in New York and said, does anybody here want to get on a train and go to an office? Every single person said no. Especially in the New York area, there's some special constraints around if you put an office in Manhattan, uh, a good number of your people are going to get on a train from New Jersey or Connecticut or, or even Brooklyn to get there. And, and nobody's comfortable doing that right now. So it's not like driving to an office or you know heading to a suburb somewhere to work. Like We have a, a different set of constraints. And I also think from every day I've talked to, like things are, are, are working really well. Like we as an organization are, are more productive. I try to do a good job of telling everyone, you know, not to work too much. And, and we try to do a good job of making sure people separate, you know, their home life from their work life. And, you know, I think some people do a good job on that. Some people are, are still working too much, uh, including myself at times. But, you know, I, I think it's a thing where we see productivity is really up. I think people are actually saving a lot of time on commutes. If you haven't done that before, like, uh, you know, it's it's really great. And, and people realize, you know, I get a couple of extra hours in my day, which I can use to work or I can use to, you know, do other things, see my family more, uh, you know, be at dinner every night, like things that happened a lot less, I think, before COVID hit are, are, are now, you know, accessible again to people. So for us, we gave up our office, we packed up everything there in storage. And, you know, there may be a day where uh, we have an office again in New York, but even that day will be, I think, significantly less people will be there than before. And, you know, people will be there two, three days a week. It'll be more of a, you know, I got to get away and, and, and come to work or there's like a special meeting or we're going to fly in one of our distributed teams and they need a place for a week to, to work on a big project or, or synchronize on things. Um, I think that's that's the hardest part when you need that sort of four days in front of a, a whiteboard with your team to really just work through really hard things like no one's come up with a good way yet of, of replicating that in a distributed manner. And, and that would be the reason that we would ultimately have an office again. We could we could get people back together in the office for things like that. So some collaboration challenges still to be solved there. And it sounds like you you feel like you've got a pretty good productivity engine in general and, and things are in a good cultural place already. Are there second or third order effects of remote you're thinking about now, given you've got the basic thing working? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a few. One of the big ones is if you don't have an office, people can really live wherever they want. How does that sort of change things down the road. And, and I think for us, we've been very clear, if you are you know, traveling somewhere else or going somewhere else and you, you're gonna be working, it's not a vacation, you, know, you need to have your computer with you, you need to have a good internet connection, you need to have space away from everyone else to work. And I think some things like that can be handled. And the obvious next concern there is you know, time zone differences and making sure people have overlap in their working hours. And this is something, honestly, that we've, uh, struggled with and I think gotten better about over time. Originally, as we started to be distributed, 
a person who worked for us moved home to Melbourne, Australia, and that was 12 hours offset from New York. And that really, I mean, he was great. He, he worked a lot of really late hours, worked overnight hours to sort of synchronize with us a lot of times. Uh, but for half the year, uh, when daylight savings time flipped in both directions in both places, it, it became really, really hard. It, it went from 12 hours to 14 hours of difference. And it, it was really hard to, to sync. And then your feedback loops get really long. So I, I think for us, like figuring out sort of like what the time zone overlap is and, and how to have sort of synchronized work hours across the company where everyone's available you know whether you're in california whether you're in new york whether you're in europe somewhere you know how do you make that happen so you can have sort of a a a town hall meeting or all company meeting or even you know engineers from california to europe meeting right like there's only very limited hours of of overlap there so that's something i think that companies are going to have to work through as they think through this more if you're located in new york you're located in san francisco you say you're a remote company People are going to scatter all over the world. Like, how does that work? And 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 you know, how do you get ahead of that to to make sure things sort of sync up and you're you're in a good place on that, so you can continue to function as a, as an organization. What advice would you have for early or mid stage entrepreneurs navigating this time? Number one is focus. You should look at what you were doing before March and sort of cut out half of it just to make sure you're sort of looking at things from the right way, and then you can sort of expand back from there. I think we looked at everything we were doing and said, is this core to growing and surviving as a company? You know, we're in a good place. We're growing quickly and and we have great investors and, and a lot of money in the bank. But I think a lot of companies that I talked to, we're going to go out fundraising or are having a hard time and or are, are trying to figure out sort of where to go. Their businesses are hurting. And I always say, Focus on, on sort of the core thing that, that you know is most important and, you know, really uh, watch your cash flow. It's, it's, it's an interesting time and, and, and cash is going to be is king more than ever. And, and, and make sure you've got, got the money to do what you need to do to get over this hump and get out of the other end and, and really grow quickly after that. I think all of the shapes of recovery have now been explored by the financial markets. But I mean, even on our board, or I'm sure in in company leadership teams everywhere, people have been talking, what is the shape of the recovery? And it's really challenging to plan in this time. Because uh, to your point, how you invest and how you manage cash really depends on how you think like your customer base is going to do, right? So any other thoughts on like planning or how you're thinking about it when the future is so uncertain? We have sort of even dropped the term plan internally and just think of things as projections. And you want a bunch of different projections based upon things that could possibly happen. you got to have somewhere in your back pocket, your worst, worst case scenario. Like what's the worst possible thing that could happen, you know, and, and turn those knobs all the way down. Like what if your sales plan was X and X goes to zero? Like, what does that look like for your company? And just be ready, you know, make sure those plans have been built and have been thought through. And, and then you can put them sort of behind glass and, and break that glass in case of emergency. But but you should be ready for that and not scrambling to figure out what to do if something like that happens. Sounds like sage advice. And how about how your team is interacting with customers on the marketing sales success front? Anything you can share there? I think one key thing that we've built that, that we didn't have before is a set of really first-class importers from other tools. And 
I think that's really opened the door to a lot of these teams that, you know, might have been looking for a better tool, might have heard of Clubhouse, but had a real investment in in something else. And, you know, since we rolled those out, and especially since everyone has been distributed, a lot of the the sales and, and success work has turned towards expanding throughout existing organizations by importing their other tools that, you know, may not have been working as well. And on the sales side, really uh, starting instead of at ground zero, starting with the historical work that they had and and doing an import and, and really showing people the power of Clubhouse and both how easy it is to use and how much better it makes even what they had an existing tool somewhere else easier to use and easier to have a conversation around. So I think from that side, we've seen a lot of uptake there and, and it's gone really well so far. So last couple of things we're going to ask you, Kurt, quick takes. A lot of time on your hands in this shelter in place period. When you're not working on Clubhouse, a content recommendation, a book, movie, tweet, anything. I actually went and reread uh, a book recently. It's called Shoe Dog. It's by Phil Knight, who founded Nike. And, and it's a really good book about building a company, about entrepreneurship, about all of this sort of, I think, messiness that happens when you're building a company and, and really taken from a really realistic view where you know, he says, and here's another time when we almost went out of business and I had to go beg the bank for a loan to get things moved over here. And, you know, this partner, I knew they were going to screw me over. So this is how I got ahead of the game. And, and it's just really interesting to see, you know, someone who just knew what he wanted to do, knew the company he wanted to build, you know, work through things. You know, he says a lot of times in it, uh, you know, I never really believed in marketing and, you know, people kept telling me we needed to market. And, and you know, when you look at Nike now, it's it's all marketing. And, and you know, it goes up through, I think, the uh, first Nike Airs when they really started to go from sort of a small company until, you know, the world's largest footwear company. So you learn the entire history and sort of all the backstory there. It's It's super interesting to just see, you know, especially from if you're a CEO, if you're running a company, if you're founding a company to, to see like a real story of, of how hard everything is and, and all the messiness that's involved there. I agree. It's an extraordinary story. And it's so hard to picture with Nike being so dominant today, how unlikely it was that they were going to survive and eventually win in the way they have. Okay, shout out. What is one way someone on your team has stepped up during the last six months? A lot of people have really pushed us forward to be better and, and be better at distributed work and, and build things better. I think, you know, everybody has, there was some learning for everyone as, as everyone went fully remote. I think I want to give a shout out to a person on our team. Her name is Christine Cha. She is a front end engineer for us, helps run a squad for us. But on the other side of things, you know, not just COVID, she's really pushed us as a company to get better on the anti-racist side of things, uh, to improve on the DNI side of things. Like it's always been important to us, and I think we've done an okay job on it. But uh, I think we we're getting better and better, and, and really uh, working hard on that. And we've taken some some really positive steps there to improve as a company. And and just like I said earlier, I think you know if if you get a bunch of diverse voices across an organization when you're building a product, like it helps a lot. And the same thing, you know, I think from where I've sat, the more diversity you have when you're building something, the better. And, you know, that's something we've been working a lot on. And, and she's really pushed us a lot on that and helped us as a company with ideas. And, and we've tried to take real concrete actions to move forward there. So on top of all of her normal work, you know, she stood up and really pushed us on that. So I'll, I'll give a shout out to, to Christine for all the work she did there. 
Awesome. Thanks, Christine. And last one is a discovery. Anything uh, weird you've learned about you, yourself, your family, your team as you're stuck at home? You know, first of all, I have a four-year-old daughter and I've been working so much trying to get through all this, figure things out. And, you know, my wife, Jen, has been awesome at, you know, really covering a lot of the work there and, and helping sort of the earth from spinning off its axis sort of in our, our family life. So I got to thank her. I can't thank her enough for that and and has really helped, you know, free up the space for me to continue growing Clubhouse and, and figure out how to keep running the company. Well, well, still, she has her own job and she's a product manager at another company and, you know, has all the work to do there, but, but really has been, uh, you know, sort of holding everything together with figuring out kindergarten and, and all the exciting things that I think a lot of us are, are thinking about right now. And then I think the other thing I've discovered is I realized a couple of months ago that we've been living uh, at my parents' house, at the house that I grew up in, something I never thought I would say again in my <laughs> life. But I personally realized like I hadn't been working out. I was kind of going insane and I started running and I've always kind of hated running. I, I used to be a competitive swimmer. I used to be a competitive downhill skiing racer. I've ran a lot of triathlons and I always hated the running part. And for whatever reason, I, I guess I like running now because I've been running a lot more. And, and in in July already, today's July 21st when we're recording this, I've already run more miles than I did for the entirety of 2019. So I've always been sort of a go run a few miles here, run a few miles there. And I realized it's it's helping me sort of stay centered and really uh, focused and sane on a lot of levels. So that was an unexpected thing to have happen where I've just sort of ramped up and, and now sort of use it as, as sort of my escape. That's great. Shelter in place has convinced you that you finally like to run. Yeah. I think it helps that I'm in the middle of nowhere and I can run without a mask too, because if I was at home in, in Brooklyn, uh, I think things would be a little different. Kurt, thanks so much for joining us today. This is great. Thank you for having me. Okay, everyone, that concludes this episode of Gray Matter. We've talked about how the pandemic has been a forcing function for Clubhouse to address issues around semi-remote teams and for communicating focus across a company more tightly, and how what we need now is for our systems of work to step up to be not just task management, but spaces for conversation. Next up, I'm incredibly excited to talk with Dylan Field, co-founder and CEO of Figma. Find our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or get episodes and blogs on our website, graylock.com, and on Twitter at GraylockVC. I'm Sarah Gua, and thanks for listening. We hope you are all keeping your earths from spinning off their axes at home.